Well, friends, it was uh, Valentine's Day recently. How many of you got a Valentine's Day present? Who here got a Valentine's Day present? Well, I'm here to tell you this morning that I got the best Valentine's Day present, and I'm wearing it right now, wearing them. I got some Jesus socks. So I'm feeling especially anointed today. That's Jesus walking on water. <laughs> Maybe that's why I was experiencing God's presence so powerfully earlier, as we were seeing. I'm sure that has nothing to do with it. Lord, we thank you for your presence here, and we thank you that in your presence there is fullness of joy, even in the midst of trouble. We thank you that in your presence there is life, that in your presence there is healing, that in your presence there is all of the kingdom of God in its miraculous dimensions, breaking through our hard hearts, breaking through the pain and suffering of the world, breaking through our resistance. Lord, I pray this morning that you will touch us, speak to us, give us ears to hear and hearts to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, today we are beginning a new four-part series on our values as a church, and I hope, which I hope will prepare the ground for Vision Sunday, which is coming up in five weeks' time. So on March the 27th, which I'm very excited to announce, we'll be communicating uh, our new vision uh, to this community that the, that the elders and the staff and I have been working on together for several months now. Now, if the vision is what we're going to do uh, together over the next few years, the values describe what kind of church we're hoping to become, who we want to be as a people, um, as we follow God's leading together. So these values, four values, represent four central convictions that we'll aspire to embody and practice together in everything that we do as a community of faith in Christ. And as I, I hope you'll see on Vision Sunday, uh, we have shaped our vision in such a way that it puts legs to these values, it puts them to work. We don't want these values to simply be things that we believe uh, that are important, we want, to be, we want them to be things that we're actually pursuing together, pressing into together, seeking to practice together, to become a community that reflects these values across the whole life of the church. So again, the values are who we want to be, who we want to become as a people, uh, and the vision is what we're going to do to express those values as we work toward that goal. Now, I'm not gonna give you all four at once. Uh, instead, what I want to do is introduce one each week over the next four weeks. Uh, they're each quite rich, biblical and theological ideas. Now, some of them you'll be very familiar with, I'm sure, others perhaps less so. Uh, but they've been chosen and they've been prepared very carefully. They are, I think, taken as a whole, uh, a compelling and powerful picture of what the church is called to be about as we follow Jesus together. So church, we are one. So as we dream about the future, as we dream about the future, who are we becoming as we pursue God's purposes together? That's the question we're going to be exploring over the next four weeks. Now, I'll explain the first value uh, toward the end of the talk. You might have seen it if you're paying attention to the video very briefly. I'm not gonna say it again, but I'm gonna come to it toward the end of this talk. Because first, what I want to do 
is set a foundation in Scripture. So before I tell you what the value is or explain the value, I want to explore some Scripture with you together, and I think what we've tried to articulate in this value that we're looking at today will flow out of what you'll see here uh, in the Scriptures. And we're going to look together, first of all, at Colossians 3, verses 1 to 15. So it will be on the screen, but if you have your Bibles or your smartphone with a Bible app on it, I encourage you to turn there. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. Oh, cool. Do you want to control that? I'll leave, I'll leave that up to you. Thank you. Colossians 3, 1 to 15. Since then, this is Paul writing to the church in Colossae, since then, you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, this is Paul essentially describing the good news of the gospel. Verse 5, put to death, therefore, so this flows on from the gospel, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, any barbarians in the room, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. But Christ is all, and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, we were singing about that this morning, weren't we? I am who you say I am. I am chosen. It's not a statement of pride, it's a statement of fact. I am chosen. There's a place for everyone in the family of God. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. How has the Lord forgiven you? Fully and completely. Forgive in the same way. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And now over all of these things, all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Lord, I pray that you would add your wisdom and understanding to this word 
In the name of Jesus, amen. Now, of course, everything that Paul is writing here really flows out of one simple thing that Jesus said in John 15, verse 12, which if you've been around the last three weeks, you would have heard it. Over the last three weeks, we've said this sentence a number of times, John 15, 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Really, everything that's coming out of Colossians 3, all the dimensions of life in the kingdom that Paul is describing, flow out of that one sentence that Jesus spoke. Love, this is my command, love one another as I have loved you. I think the central idea at at work in Colossians 3 is that the gospel, the good news about the saving, redeeming, forgiving, healing, loving work of Jesus in the world, is not something that is merely personal to me or to you. It's not merely individual. It's not just about what God has done for me. And it's not just about what God has done for you. Of course, it starts there, doesn't it? Every one of us has to make a decision for ourselves to follow Jesus, yes and amen. But if the gospel has been rightly understood, then of course, it will have a powerfully transforming effect on who you are as a person, yes, and on who you are becoming, but particularly, according to Paul, in terms of how you will live with other people. Did you catch that in Colossians 3? That the gospel, that if we've been raised with Christ and seated with him in heavenly places, we set our hearts on things above, not on earthly things, but that doesn't mean that we escape the world, it actually means that now from that place of authority and power, and life in Christ, we can engage the world and engage one another in the way that Christ desires for us to do it, to engage in those things. So if we've rightly understood the gospel, what Paul is saying is that that will have a powerfully transforming effect on how you live with other people. It's not just about you, it's about how you live with others. Let me put it to you bluntly, friends. If the gospel, the good news of Jesus, has not changed the way you relate to other people, how you love other people, how you treat them, then you have simply not understood the gospel that Jesus preached. Jesus left us this one command, just one, a new command I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Can he be any clearer about it? I think what he's saying is if, the way that you've seen me love, then love each other like that. As you've watched my way of life, put that into practice. Everything that you've seen me do, offer to each other. Everything else in the Christian faith, I think, flows from that one thing. And if we don't have that one thing, then we don't have anything. Because as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, if I have not love, it's not just that I'm lacking something important, he actually says, does anyone know how he finishes that sentence? If I have not love, I am, I am nothing. I am nothing. So if we don't have that, we've got nothing. That's pretty challenging, isn't it? In Colossians 3, and I'm paraphrasing, paraphrasing here, but I think this is the point, if you set your heart on Christ, then you will long to actively put to death those things that cause you to elevate yourself above others that cause you to hurt 
others or treat them as less than or as objects of your lust or your rage or your malice or your sexual immorality. Why? Verse 9, because you have taken off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed. So you've put on the new self, but it's being renewed, right? See that dynamic of it is a promise that is yours, but now you need to live into it. It's a promise that's given to you in Christ, but now you need to live into it. You need to step up. You need to take this challenge on. It's just being renewed in the knowledge uh, in knowledge, in the image of its creator. Here there's no Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. What is the task of a follower of Jesus? I think our task, our calling, if what Paul says here is true, that Christ is all and is in all, then I think the task of a Christ follower in terms of how we deal with others, is that we are called to treat other people as though they were Jesus himself. We are called to treat other people, even the ones that we consider our enemies, as though they were Jesus himself. So how are we going with that? Should we have an altar call right now? (laughs) What does this look like for us? Verse 12 to 15. Again, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness, with patience. Bear with each other. I love that. Paul's very realistic here. The church is going to be a context. Um, Our lives following Jesus are going to create context for us in which we're just going to have to bear with each other. You with me? Bear with each other. And forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone. Have you ever had a grievance against someone in the church? No one? Wow, this is a particularly holy place. I think I need to go somewhere else. (laughs) Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. In other words, all of this flows from love. A new command I give you, that you love one another and really mean it. Sincerely, from the heart. Now, folks, I could have picked innumerable passages to illustrate this this morning. The parable of the Good Samaritan. Paul talks about this in Romans 12. It's all through James. It's in Peter. It's in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Passages like Colossians 3 are everywhere in the New Testament, if you care to look. They are everywhere, brothers and sisters. What about John's words in 1 John 4.20, that if we say we love God but we hate our brother or our sister, then we are lying, we are deluding ourselves, and the truth is not in us. It's not just that we've missed the mark, we've not even understood the truth about the gospel. So that's a, that's a deeply challenging statement, and boy, do I need to repent of my own self-centeredness. God, search our hearts See if there be any unclean thing in us. Lead us in the way of everlasting. 
Now, to put it in the positive, because I, I, I know I've been kind of negative already, sorry, uh, but to put it in the positive, the vision of what Paul is painting for us here in terms of what the church could be, can be, has been, and still is all around the world is so beautiful and so astonishing. This miraculous community of once divided enemies, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, rich and poor, male and female, people of every social situation, race and tribe and tongue, now gathered together under the lordship of Jesus, sitting at the same table, breaking the same bread, drinking from the same cup, and continually offering to one another the honor and the respect and the grace and the forgiveness and the hospitality and the care and the support and the encouragement that Christ Jesus has offered to each of them. What a powerful picture of what the church could be, which is what Paul is trying to draw us to. Set your minds on the things above where Christ is. Set your hearts on Christ, and that will influence then how you live in the world and how you treat other people and how we be, what we become as a church community. I was reading Tom Holland's book, Dominion, recently, uh, in which, not Tom Holland of Spider-Man fame, a different Tom Holland, um, academic Tom Holland, uh, who wrote a book called Dominion. He's not a Christian, uh, at least not, not yet. I think he's on the way. Um, but in which he argues uh, that the ethics that we take for granted in the West, you know, things like universal human rights, which we take for granted, have in fact almost entirely emerged from the Christian faith, from Christian ethics, uh, that until recently were pretty much at the heart of Western European life and culture, out of which these declarations of universal human rights have come. Prior to that, uh, Tom Holland writes this, that the heroes of the ancient world, talking about Greek and Roman antiquity, scorned the weak and the downtrodden. They saw them as inferior, absolutely. So too the philosophers, the same attitude. You can read about what Aristotle said about women and the poor. The starving deserved no sympathy. Beggars were best rounded up and deported. Foreigners were useful only as slaves. Pity risked undermining a wise man's self-control. Only fellow citizens of good character and who were male, though through no fault of their own, who had fallen on evil days, might conceivably merit assistance. The ancient world was a horrific place if you weren't rich and male. Everyone else was treated as absolutely inferior, and particularly if you're a Roman citizen or a Greek citizen. But no sooner had the message of Christ begin to spread through the world through the church, and we have Paul writing things like this in the middle of that period of antiquity. Colossians 3.12, therefore as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion. I mean, we've got to understand that in the context of the day when this was spoken, that was radical. No one in the Roman world believed that to be the case. You didn't show compassion on the people who were poor or weak or downtrodden. You enslaved them. That's what you did. You used them for your own purposes. But this is Paul's vision of the church because it flows, friends, from Jesus himself. 
the head of the body. Again, love one another as I have loved you. That command is the very heart of the church. Not our worship, not our programs, not even our community engagement, certainly not our buildings. What's at the heart of the church as we gather under Christ Jesus our King is the command to love one another as I have loved you. That's what it means to be a kingdom person, a kingdom man, a kingdom woman, someone who follows the way of Jesus. So what is the church? The church is a new humanity that God is creating out of all the peoples of the earth, people who were once alienated from God and from one another, but who together in Christ have become a new creation. We've put off the old self, we've put on the new. It's not just an individual reality, it's a communal reality as well, because Paul speaks about you putting on your new self and then immediately goes to what that means for how you live with other people. But we are a new creation, a redeemed humanity, a holy nation. We are citizens of heaven and ambassadors of the kingdom. And our primary task is to make disciples, we know that, by showing the world what following Jesus really looks like. See, Jesus said in Matthew 28, make disciples of all nations, yes, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. That implies, doesn't it, that those making disciples and doing the teaching are themselves obeying all that Christ commanded. And what did Christ command? (laughs) A new commandment I give you, just one, that you love one another as I have loved you. Listen to how Paul describes the church in Ephesians 2, verse 15. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, His purpose, that is, Christ's purpose, was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Now, he's speaking here about Jews and Gentiles, but I think that the, the, the heart of that applies across uh, you know, all of humanity. Whoever we might consider to be our enemy We have a task as those who have been reconciled to God to be agents of reconciliation and through the blood of Christ and in in the way that we treat other people to seek toward becoming the community where we have put to death our hostility. It seems to me, friends, that now more than ever in human history, we need a church that looks and acts like that. And yet, sadly, as we've seen over the last couple of years, there has been so much division in the body of Christ. And yet, we're called to be a redeemed humanity, a community of peace and reconciliation. 
Verse 19 of Ephesians 2, therefore you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens. Turn to the person next to you and say, welcome fellow citizen. Welcome fellow citizen. You're not a foreigner, you're not a stranger, but we are fellow citizens and members of his household, of God's household. We are God's people, built on the foundation, Paul says, of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone, and in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord, and in him you too, one community church, are being built together to become a dwelling in which God will live by his spirit. Praise God. That's the task of our life together, to become a place where God is dwelling in power and in glory by His Spirit as we are built together to be a living family, a living building of living stones where we are each, of course, temples of the Holy Spirit, but together we become a mighty temple of God's presence and God's power in the world. Now, it's a community that isn't perfect, don't we know it? but it's being built together. It's a promise, but it's also a process. It's a promise, but it's also a process. Is this what we desire, friends? Is this what we're longing for? Is this what we'd love to see the church become uh, in our own time? I think we do, but sadly, we're also so aware of the shortcomings of the church, aware of its many failures not just here, but right across the world. It's a tragedy that our churches have been beset so often with so much division and disunity. It's a tragedy. Instead of being places of love and healing, we have often been places of judgment and hurt, haven't we? It's a horror, almost too unspeakable, that our churches have not been safe places for children and the vulnerable. It's a horror. It's a tragedy that narcissistic leaders have often been permitted to build their own kingdoms of power and manipulation. It's a tragedy that too often our preachers are loved and worshipped more than Jesus. It's a tragedy that folks can go to church services all their lives but never really learn how to love. That's a tragedy. That's a tragedy. It's a tragedy that so many people come to church or engage with Christian community looking for answers but are shunned because we don't like the questions they're asking. That's a tragedy. So many good people have left the church because of these things and it's brought shame on the name of Jesus and it has damaged our witness. Now I'm sure everyone in this room could tell a story or two or three or 12 of how the church has hurt you at some point in your life or failed you at some point in your life. I certainly can. Um, But instead of simply bemoaning these things, we should be getting on our knees and asking for God to forgive us and heal us and help us to give us power together to overcome those things and become together the people of God that he is longing for us to become. In fact, I think we should do that right now. Can you please stand with me? Or in fact, if you can, I invite you to kneel.
Holy Spirit, we ask for your forgiveness. Lord Jesus, we ask for your mercy. Father, we cry out to you that you would turn your face toward us and help us. We ask for your forgiveness for the ways in which we, each of us individually, have not lived in to the calling to love and to be your people together for each other and in the world as you've called us to be. We have failed many, many times, Lord, and the church in the West and around the world, we have stumbled and failed so often. We ask for you to meet us here in this place right now and help us. We ask for your forgiveness. We, help, we ask, Lord, that you would restore us, uh, that we might walk in your ways. I invite you just to take a moment for each of you yourselves to uh, pray into this. And if there's anything that you need to confess before the Lord, I invite you to do that. If there's anyone that you need to forgive uh, in the church, I ask you to do that before God right now. Let's take a moment to encounter him together. Have mercy on us, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out our transgressions, wash away all our iniquity, and cleanse us from sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, Lord, have I sinned. And we have done evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Cleanse us, Lord, and we will be clean. Wash us, and we will be whiter than snow. Let us hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from our sins. 
blot out all our iniquity. Oh Lord, create in us a pure heart. Renew a steadfast spirit within us. Do not cast us from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from us. Restore to us the joy of your salvation and grant us a willing spirit to sustain us. Come, Lord Jesus. Our sacrifice, Lord, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Move in our midst in power that we might become the people that you long for us to be. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Friends, I believe, as I draw this to a conclusion this morning, that the gospel we preach will determine what kind of church we will become. And I am determined not to preach a gospel that is all about you as individuals. My heart, my determination, is to preach what I believe is the gospel that Jesus preached, which is the good news about the kingdom of God, this new thing that God is doing in our midst, a new creation, a new humanity. People who were once enemies, divided, disunified, acting in anger and violence toward one another, becoming a community of peace and reconciliation. I am determined that that is the gospel that we will preach here. Uh, New Testament professor Gordon Fee once said, I have this on the slide, God is not simply saving diverse individuals and preparing them for heaven, rather he is creating a people for his name among whom God can dwell and who in their life together will reproduce God's life and character in all its unity and diversity. Don't we want to see a church like that? Don't we want to be a church like that? Yes and amen. That's what I'm believing for. And I think that is what the world is longing to see. That the church, our mission is not to create a more peaceful or more just world. That's the overflow of something else. Our primary task is to be the church. Now that may seem really simple, but you all know how challenging that actually is. But our task is to get on as the church uh, by being the church, and that is pressing into these things that we've seen described in Colossians 3. And I think if we do that, if we will get on with being the church, a servant-hearted, cross-shaped community, trusting in the power of spirit to form the character of Christ in us uh, as we grow in love for each other, then the overflow of that will be our loving and peaceful and justice-seeking engagement with the world because the church is the vehicle through which Jesus is making disciples and transforming the world. But first, if we're gonna offer something to the world, we've gotta offer it to each other. We've gotta become that community and then we've got something to say to the world around us. So here is how I wanna express this value. 
Our value, our first value, is that we want to be a renewed humanity. And this is what I hope uh, we'll, we will grow into together, and this is how I've tried to describe this. Do we have it on the screen, the, the rest of the description? No, we don't. Okay, so I'll have to read it to you. A renewed humanity, this is what we are aiming for. We want to be a multi-ethnic and multi-generational community displaying the rich unity and diversity of the body of Christ where all people are loved and valued equally as image bearers of God. A community marked by kindness, generosity, hospitality, and forgiveness, who pursue belonging over perfection as we grow together in love. And we pray that in God's kingdom, he will do the impossible. So since we don't have it on the screen, I'm going to read it to you one more time. We're going to put this out via social media and email and everything so you have it. Our desire at One is to be a renewed humanity, a multi-ethnic and multi-generational community displaying the rich unity and diversity of the body of Christ where all people are loved and valued equally as image bearers of God, a community marked by kindness, generosity, hospitality, and forgiveness who pursue belonging over perfection as we grow together in love. We are one and we pray that in his kingdom, God will do the impossible. That's what I hope the experience of someone engaging with our church will be like. That together, as God's people, holy and dearly loved, we will show each other and the world what it really looks like to be a follower of Jesus. That we love one another as he has loved us. Let's pray. And I'm invite the band to come on up. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity this morning to open the scriptures, to be reminded of what it is you desire for your church to be. And I thank you that throughout history, faithful men and women in every corner of the globe have stepped into this calling and through them, you have done impossible things. You have changed societies, you have healed the sick, you have provided for the poor, you've built hospitals and schools and churches and transformed communities from being places of violence and hatred to being places of love and welcome and hospitality. Lord, you turned the ancient world upside down. 
through the witness of your people who were getting on doing what it was that Christ had called them to do. And I pray for us this morning that we will have that same heart, that same mind, that we lift our thoughts and our hearts to you, Lord Jesus, and by your power, we will become together the people through whom you will move to shape us into your kingdom, but also then to influence the world so that we might make disciples as we show those around us what it really looks like to know and follow Jesus. Lord, I thank you for the calling that you've given us. I thank you that it is impossible for us, but you've given us your spirit to drink and to be filled with that we might find in Him the power and the courage and the unity and the love to be and do all we have been called to do and be in the world. Lord, it's got to start here. I thank You for the moment we've had together just to to take some time to repent, to ask for forgiveness, to seek Your face, uh, to address things in our own hearts and around us that are not right. And I pray Lord, that you will honor those prayers and begin to work in each of us and across this community, that we would be a place of reconciliation and peace and justice and hospitality, that we really would value belonging over perfection. Lord, that we deal with each other as we find one another, and we'd be committed to working together to become fully formed disciples of Jesus. Lord, help us. Lord, help us. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen.